This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Denise Crosby. I played Tasha Yar on Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Richard Marquez, and here with me, well, not oh, not last week, but here with me now is the amazing Justin Ozer and... The beautiful Amy Nelson. How you guys doing? Doing good. Thanks, Richard. Uh, we're here <laughs> recording on a Saturday instead of our usual Sunday. I think it'll go well, but it's just a little different. I know. You know, get our get get it all mixed up and everything. We got to keep the juices flowing and everything. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Amy? <laughs> I'm doing so good, and I just wanted to say, you guys, I love podcasting with you guys. It's so much fun and talking about next gen. It just really, it's it's a highlight of my week, and so just I'm feeling very thankful today. So I'm excited for today. Oh, awesome! Thanks, Amy. Yeah, I definitely look forward to this every single week, and <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. I certainly do uh, 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 look forward to this uh, every week. So I mean, we get to talk about Star Trek. I mean, what could be better? <laughs> yeah. I know, and with great people too. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, before we start with the episode, um, there we've gotten some Babel Conference feedback, uh, episode 222, and that would be the Dwight Schultz interview, which I must say was amazing watching those numbers go up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the feedback and comments from, because I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think it was shared 46 times. Yeah, I think the last number I saw was shared 46 times. And oh, let's just round up to 47. Oh, okay. All right, 47. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We might have to do 48 because Jennifer doesn't like uh, odd numbers. So, oh. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, watching those numbers and seeing all the uh, all the feedback that uh, from other groups and everything, it was amazing. Uh, I absolutely loved it. What'd you guys think of um, all that? <laughs> oh, it was it was wonderful. I mean. I think we had a feeling that people would be pretty interested, but I think it even exceeded those expectations how interested people were in the Dwight Schultz interview. It was also shared on Facebook to the Dwight Schultz fan site Facebook group, and they have mm-hmm. something like 7,000 members. So there were a whole bunch of people that found out about it that way and shared it that way. So yeah, we got lots of great feedback. Unfortunately, we can only read a few uh, pieces of feedback here today, but yeah, it was it was really something, wasn't it, Amy? Yeah, there was a really good discussion, you know, about are you an introvert, extrovert, you know, because Barkley, his character sort of, 
you know, brings that to the forefront. And so just really good discussions. Appreciate all those who commented and listeners, if you haven't had a chance, please go through and read. There was a really a lot of good things that were mentioned. In fact, Wes Huntington said, this was another home run of an interview. Thanks for asking my question. I kind of knew that was on the writer of Hollow Pursuits that Barkley was supposed to be shy. I just wanted to know if Schultz had any inclination to make him be more confident. Barkley certainly did become confident as time progressed, especially by Realm of Fear. He also voiced Barkley in the video game Star Trek Elite Force 2. It is a shame he won't be in Discovery anytime soon, but that's okay. The nth degree story was awesome. His impression of Sir Patrick Stewart was hilarious. Another home run. Great job, Amy, Richard, and Justin. Thank you, Wes, for your comment. And yeah, that was one thing I really noticed. You could just hear his Lieutenant Barkley voice come through throughout the interview. (laughs) Yeah, it was was really wonderful. And I think, Wes, you summarized a lot of great things in the interview and also added, I didn't realize he voiced Barkley in a video game, the Star Trek Elite Force 2, which I think was like a Voyager video game. So it was not only doing video games outside of Star Trek, but in Star Trek too, which is cool. Yeah, I, I remember playing Elite Force 2. That was actually a really fun game. Okay. <laughs> oh. So I remember, I, I I don't remember him in it, but I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard from other people that it was a really good game. So uh, Tim Han says, congratulations to you, Amazing 3, and getting to interview Dwight Schultz, and many thanks for reading out my question. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Uh, appreciate the the feedback. And we do appreciate all the questions that we got. Unfortunately, we can only ask a few of them, but uh, we love it when listeners give us questions to ask uh, people that we're interviewing who are involved in, in Star Trek. It really adds something to the interview and we get to ask questions that we might not normally think about. So thank you for that. So Corey Elrod said, wonderful interview. It was much more in depth and personal than I expected. I was also surprised he remembered so much about his character and the episodes he was in. He definitely took the role seriously. Definitely. I I, I mean, I'm sure you guys did too, but I mean, I, I felt it uh, throughout the entire interview. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I was impressed when we asked him, like, what was your favorite episode? I expected him to say, you know, the one where this happens. But no, he was like, the nth degree. And I know this and this and this happened. I think that, like, it's I think it's one of those things where it was probably one of the most memorable things he's done along with the A-team. So he just like remembers it a lot and goes to all the conventions. And it, it was just wonderful. I mean, he knew it inside and out. I know. And that he remembered his character. And so you know that he just really, you know, put his all into developing that character that really wasn't on that many episodes, you mm-hmm. know. But that's yeah. a credit to him and his ability. It's probably also because he was a Star Trek fan from the beginning, from in the 60s. So it was it was like a dream come true that he'd never forget, I guess. Right. Yeah. Sanjeev Gopal says, wow, I just finished listening to the Dwight Schultz interview and he just seems so down to earth. Great job as usual, Amy, Justin, and Richard. I am envious. I laughed out loud a few times, which I never do, especially at his story about Brent Spiner stopping production due to no smoke in his pipe. Hilarious. I relate to Barclay as many people do as I'm an introvert in a society where extroverts are celebrated and idolized. We do have a lot to contribute, and it was nice to see one of us on the deck of the Enterprise, as Dwight said. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's uh, sparked a very um, 
interesting conversation, which, you know, I loved reading. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of other hosts uh, to chime in as well. So yeah, yeah definitely. Good. So if you're wondering about us hosts and whether we feel introverted or extroverted, there's a whole thread in that one about that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, so on with the episode. Well, I'm very interested to see what uh, what has been chosen. I really am because I actually had a difficult time choosing, a, uh, uh, I guess you could say, a memorable moment or a favorite moment. I, I mean, I have my favorites, obviously, but I mean, it was it was difficult for me. I don't know about you guys. It, was it difficult it was, for you guys? It was difficult for, for season four to, to find them or to narrow them down? Narrowed them down. And what was... You know, pertinent to the character is is how is how I've uh, been um, uh, going uh, going about these uh, this episode or this series of episodes. It was a little unexpected for me because I had a really tough time with season three and narrowing it down. But somehow, like as I looked at the list of episodes for season four, there were ones mm-hmm. that just like stood out to me immediately. It was actually it actually was easier <laughs> than last time. But mm. That's just me. What about you, Amy? You know, it's. It's you're right because it's easy because there's so many good episodes. Um, and so I sort of go at it as almost just throwing a dart at the dartboard and say, okay, I'm going to watch this episode. And then of course you're going to find some amazing character moments. So, uh, I'm sort of all over the place just because everything just screams at me. This is so good. (laughs) So I really enjoy preparing uh, is, is that what you did? Four. Is that what you did? Throw a dart? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty darn close. <laughs> yeah, don't throw a dart at your computer. I don't screen. own a dartboard, but <laughs> I can roll the dice. Hmm, there you okay. go. <laughs> dice. I like it. <laughs> so, uh, well, um, Justin, why don't you start us off and give us your first pick? Well, I know in, in a, a lot of these, I've kind of gone to episodes that are maybe less well-regarded or less thought of. But as I look through this list, there's one that I absolutely had to include and to include it first. Uh, so it's for, it's from the episode Family, which is right after The Best of Both Worlds. Um, you know, and, the, and there's one, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in that episode, but one in particular that is such an important turning point. Um, and it's when, you know, Picard is at... at um, at his brother Robert's home, and they've been kind of uh, getting at each other a little bit, and there's some resentment, it seems like, there. Um, And they end up having this fight in the mud, which is very memorable. But what happens after they kind of have it out, uh, Picard really just opens up and becomes vulnerable, I think in a way we've never seen him be before, because he's thinking about the experience with the Borg, and he's talking about how difficult it was and that he tried to do everything he could to stop what they were doing and not to kill all of those people, but he couldn't do it. And he just breaks down and he, and he cries. And it's just like this really pivotal moment where the whole facade that you've seen for Picard for over three years is kind of stripped away. And you're seeing at his very essence who he is, that he's not infallible, that he has all of these difficulties. So I think it's it's just an incredibly important moment for, for Picard that I had to choose. And in fact, I think uh, Ken Tripp, who's a co-host of Standard Orbit, says this is the episode, and I think even this moment, that really told him who Picard was and that he could really 
get into that character and, and really um, root for him after that point. I mean, I've always liked Picard, but just that moment, he is just kind of stripped to his his bare essence and it's just so powerful. And I think you see it in different ways, probably especially in First Contact, just affect him forever after that. So I had to pick it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And like what you said and, and Ken's thoughts as well, like, you know, Captain Picard has been so stoic and so perfect and so, you know, gives the right commands and, you know, and he sort of sets himself apart from his crew because he is the captain. Um, and this is a point where we get to see him where us as viewers can relate to him breaking down and, you know, feeling these emotions that he's had. It, it is an excellent character moment for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. What do you think, Richard? I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> is that one of your choices? It is. It's the exact same. Exact same <laughs> Actually, moment. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I chose it just basically exactly what you guys said, uh, said about it, that we get to see um, a different kind of Picard, um, uh, you know, than what we've seen in the last three years or three seasons. Um and you know it, it 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 definitely uh shows how vulnerable he is and i, I absolutely love it i wish they would have done that with jane way in um in voyager um this kind of the same way when she went through her depression um and also mm-hmm. her angry fits uh with the equinox but um I, 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 you know cuz this was this was this was a great story um I mean, uh, to show that he's you know he's not a, a perfect being and he's you know he is in a sense human and um that we all can oh, we all go through i guess i i don't want to say he really didn't make a mistake he i mean obviously he fought them but he just couldn't you know cuz he was overwhelmed it's like there was nothing you know I mean? he yeah. he could do at that point it was like right. his own no win scenario like there was no way that he was going to win against what they wanted him to do and it also brings Picard down to the level of the viewer as well because you can relate to that like if I was in that situation I would have the same struggle and difficulty and probably fail too like he's a human being just like me so it's kind of that equalizing moment that you hadn't seen before right right so I mean it definitely um uh, definitely changed uh and I'm glad that the uh, what ever since then uh we really start seeing these Picard stories that actually sees him vulnerable and you know different parts of his uh, traits and and whatnot. So yeah, I think so. I yeah. really like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I relate that one. So I would go next, but Justin and I chose the same one. Uh, great minds think alike. <laughs> <laughs> so Amy, go ahead uh, with your first. <laughs> okay, so mine's not as pivotal as that, um, but you know I love my Troy, and in Future Imperfect, this is it starts out. I mean, the whole opening scene. Uh, it's Riker's birthday, and he's playing the trombone, which is another great character moment. But that's not the one I chose, although I am mentioning it. But so <laughs> he's playing the trombone, and he misses that one note that he always misses. And um, then he blows out his candles and Troy, the interplay between Troy and Riker is so perfect because then she asks him, well, what did you wish for? You know, and he Riker gives him that look like, you know, I can't tell you that, you know, and just to see how comfortable 
these characters are getting between themselves really shines through. I mean, the looks that they give each other, the comfortable, how comfortable they are with each other and, you know, bringing along that these characters really have known each other for a long time. They have these inside little jokes like it just is exemplified in that one little moment that I just I cherish and I love Troy and Riker. So, yeah. And I mean, if you go back to, let's say, Encounter at Farpoint, they're very uncomfortable kind of seeing each other because they have all this history and they don't know how they'll handle handle it. But I think by that point in season four, they know how they're going to handle it. I mean, at, at that point, at least, they're not going yeah. to be a serious relationship, but they can still be, you know, friends and have a good time. And they're perfectly comfortable with each other. And I think it's also like a reflection of the actors and how comfortable they've become and how much they love each other. So it reflects that real world, what's happening as well. Exactly. Yeah. You know that this is a tight knit group by this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good choice, Amy. Yeah, it is a good choice. I hadn't (laughs) thought of that. (laughs) Neither did I. (laughs) But I was expecting a Troy moment. (laughs) You'll get it. Oh, and Amy, we expect a math moment, remember? Oh, I have one. All right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Justin, you want to go with pick number two? Oh, back to me again. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to pick a crusher moment. (gasps) Wait, wait, wait. Uh Uh-oh, I hope it's not mine. Or Beverly. Oh, oh, uh, sorry. To clarify, just so you're not too scared, Beverly Crusher. Oh, okay. It's like, all right, all right, I'll listen to that. <laughs> I'll keep my headphones on. We're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it, it comes from one of the few truly Beverly-focused episodes, which is Remember Me. I, mm. oh. I, I love the episode because, you know, she ends up all these people are disappearing and she's really stuck in this warp bubble and she's trying to figure things out. I mean, I love a lot of the episode where she's kind of trying to use her own reasoning and her own wits in order to to get through like the situation. But <laughs> probably one of my, my favorite uh, things is when basically, you know, all of the people are gone and she's asking, um, the, the computer, you know, what's going on? Why aren't she, isn't she seeing any stars? And there's just like this mist that's basically like the size of, of the ship. And she says, if there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. <laughs> I just love that, that, that she's gotten to that point where she's, she's just figuring out like, wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with this whole situation. And I think not everybody would necessarily like get to that point. And I don't think we see that from Crusher enough, like using those reasoning skills and trying to get out of really difficult situations. So I think it's a great, and unfortunately one of the few character moments for Beverly Crusher like that. And I, I just love it. And I love the the whole episode and wish we would have had more like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it really show, shows her confidence, you know, cause it's like, well, if I'm okay, then <laughs> the rest of y'all are crazy. Like, you know, that takes a lot of confidence and courage to even have that thought because normally you think, you know, the universe is what it is and there must be something wrong with me. But to flip that, I I think definitely shows, yeah, her commitment to her logic and and what she's thinking, her reasoning power. And again, her confidence and courage to say that. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people in that situation, they might be like, 
Well, we've had a lot of problems with aliens messing with us. Maybe it's some aliens or something else going on, but she's like, wait a minute, maybe there's something wrong with this whole setup. And that's when she kind of has a schematic and looks at it and it's like, that's like Wesley's warp bubble. Sorry, there's Wesley because it is his fault. <laughs> I'll admit that. See, but. I told you, no kids are allowed on board. <laughs> <laughs> it's unknowingly his fault. He didn't oversleep like with the nanites. But <laughs> but yeah, it's I, I just love it. And I love the episode so much. But there, I mean, there are other episodes episodes that focus more on Beverly like suspicions but not entirely but this is like pretty much all about her trying to get out of this thing and I I just love it yeah mm-hmm. it's got that little mystery of what's uh what's really going on sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah 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 I like that too yeah all right I'll give you that one on the crusher thing <laughs> <laughs> all right um so I chose or so I guess I, I will go to me um so I, I chose the wounded um, and oh, not because of a main character or anything like that, uh, mainly because of O'Brien. Um, I love, I, I actually love this episode It all around. Obviously, it's a stepping point off for uh, DS9, um, it, you know, given the background of the Kadarasians. But one of the things that really got, uh, got to me was that um, when he was in the bar with that Kardashian and he said to him, uh, it's not you, uh, it's not you I hate Kardashian. It's or I hate what I became because of you. And it's just, that's just so powerful. I mean, it's not, I mean, our intentions are not towards that, you know, it's just, you know, you hate what you become. I can only imagine what it would be like um, with another species. But I mean, I kind of felt like that coming out of Iraq too. I mean, it was a, it was more of a personal thing too, but I mean, I, I, I saw it. It's like, I saw exactly what he, uh, what he meant. Um, that he really hates what he became because, and I'm sure his feelings as well because of what happened. So, well, and I think that's really pivotal point for O'Brien because, you know, earlier on in the episode, like you can tell that he has anger and hatred for the Cardassians. And, you know, when he's at dinner with Keiko and he is in complete denial, you know, like, well, I don't, you know, I don't hate the Cardassians, but, you know, when he's in the turbo lift and it's like who I spend to choose my free time is mine, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so at that point when he's in the bar, it's like to recognize that I don't hate you. I don't hate the species. I, you know, this general statement and then to recognize, you know, where that anger is really coming from, I just think is so telling. And I just, Oh, I wish more people would recognize that in their lives, you know, that, Mm -hmm. you know, because, yeah, it was not a good thing that happened to Maxwell and, and, you know, the whole Cardassia war and stuff like that. But to analyze where you're at with this group of people, with this species, you know, and and how you're going to go and relate with them in the future. It's Mm -hmm. very pivotal point there. Very much so. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you've paid me back, Richard, because that was one on my list. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that exact moment. But I'll, I'll talk about it. <laughs> I'll talk about it a little bit because, like, it, it's such an important point for O'Brien because before that, like, in Encounter Farpoint, he was the Battle Bridge con officer. You'd seen him in the transporter room. You found out a tiny bit of him before this in Data's Day where he's getting married to Keiko. But this is the first time 
where you really find out something significant about O'Brien's life and his experience, what he's been through. It kind of builds up the character. And probably, you know, an episode like this and a few others uh, going forward are the reason that he was brought onto DS9 because they started to build it out so you could kind of see who he was. But, I mean, it is a it is a powerful message because I think in a lot of those situations, it's it's not necessarily the you know entire species or race or whatever that that people really hate they hate that situation and that person or that species or race makes them think of that situation that they're so uncomfortable with and it it kind of turns things on its head in the episode because the first time i saw it i thought well he just hates cardassians but it's explained as something quite different and also O'Brien says this is the first time in his life he's had to kill anyone was at Setlick 3. Right. And that's, you know, I mean, that's just such such a a, a, a turning point, I would think. And and then you think like he's he's still in Starfleet. He's still doing all of this stuff. He's able to to deal with it, but it's still such a difficult thing for him. So it adds so many layers and so much complexity to his character just in this one episode that you had never seen before. And I love that in TNG they could do that for someone who isn't a main character, but who you'd you know, seen a number of times just in small bits, but they really turned him into like a, a much more fascinating character with this episode. See, now I wouldn't have chosen it had he not have been in DS9. <laughs> Cause hmm. like it's he's a, I mean, he's a, I mean, he's not a major, major character in, in TNG, but he is in DS9, obviously. And I just love that, he started out here and then, you know, he actually, we get to see a lot more of him in DS9 and it's, it's far more, uh, I mean, he's very, I mean, actually most of the episodes that are my favorite are O'Brien episodes. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah. What's your so favorite it's like, DS9 episodes? We'll, we'll, we'll have to go on yeah. the orb and actually talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that's, that's, that's really interesting. But yeah, I mean, like the thing is like, if you look at O'Brien, he actually appeared in 52 episodes of the next generation so he's in a lot of episodes but mo- most of the time it was like he was at the transporter pad and it's like energizing yep. right you know but he was still there a lot but i love that they just brought his character to the fore and added so much and and it's such an excellent episode i could probably pull out a bunch of other moments including at the end with anyway i won't go into that because apparently amy's got something <laughs> <laughs> yes so for my second pick, since we're already talking about the wounded, um, I really love the interplay at the end between Picard and Maxwell. And I mean, okay, so Maxwell is just, he's going and we find out in the end that Maxwell is justified. I mean, those supply ships are doing a little bit more than just supplying. Um, but I just love Picard's tactic with um, Maxwell here. And he's just asking him questions. And I love his tone. He's not accusatory. He's just trying, very level-headed, as we know Picard is. And it's like, why didn't you notify Starfleet? You know, and I mean, the whole interchange, and he's just asking him questions. And and then Maxwell's like, well, you know what it's like. We, You know, we weren't under fire. Lives were at stake. And Picard's like, whose lives? You know, well, we. I had to act now. Why? You know, and he's just asking these questions again, just so level, even killed, trying to get Maxwell 
to see his error in his thinking, you know, and I just think that interplay between those two and how Picard can not be accusing him, you know, and just coming down on him because he does have, you know, Picard sort of has been given, you know, from Starfleet command to say, all right, you need to capture Maxwell. So he does have the upper hand here, but the way that he treats and respects Maxwell just by asking him questions, trying to get him to logically come to this conclusion that he was in the wrong, I think is a great diplomatic showing of Picard's character. Yeah, it it, it really is. It's funny, when you said something toward the end, I thought it was going to be O'Brien and Maxwell. But um, yeah, Picard and Maxwell are really great. And because there are these two captains who have a lot of experience and they're kind of a bit in this competition, uh, and you know, Maxwell gives some digs to Picard, like smells musty in here, like a bureaucrat's office. Yes. But Picard's going to have none of that because like what, what's very interesting about the episode is that Maxwell is justified in his suspicions, but the way he goes about it is not the right way to go about it. At the same time, even so, what he's done helps to expose something, and Picard does really know what's going on, and Starfleet will know what's going on, which probably plays into some things later with the Cardassians. So uh, the, it's a very complex episode when you think about the motivations and who's right and who isn't, because it's like he's right, but he isn't, but it helped, but did it really? I mean, there's just so much yeah. to think about. I mean, The Wounded is such an incredible episode um, that... I think needs to be talked about more because there's so much that's going on and so much that, that sets up things, things later. Yeah. Yeah. Well then look, sounds like an other, a future episode to me. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Yes, we need to. <laughs> awesome. I actually thought you were going to say, um, when uh, Picard was talking to the Cardassians, he's like, we'll be watching. <laughs> <laughs> Although we talked but, about that in a previous one, didn't we? Yeah. I, yeah. I, it, yeah. That came up in my mind too. So, <laughs> So just one last thing I noticed, since it is sort of the end of that scene, so I'm tagging it along as another character moment. Like, uh -huh. So at the end, you know, Picard stands up and walks to his window and just has his back to Maxwell. And I thought, man, that is such a Lorca move. I just <laughs> loved it. I It so, so reminded me of Gabriel Lorca in Discovery and how Lorca, you know, would always have his back, you know, to someone. It's sort of a power move. I thought, man, Picard nailed it right there. Interesting. I hadn't thought of hmm. a Picard-Lorca connection like that before. Hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and then at the very end of the episode, he turns his back to the Cardassian. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like, he uses that against him, too. Yeah, that's a power play, definitely. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about that before. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> hmm. Awesome. Well, since we all went through our number two choices, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's move on to number three, um, Mr. Justin. All right. Well, since the wounded was going to be my third choice, but I'll take from an honorable mention. Um, there you go. I have to talk about one of my favorite episodes in this season, which is Half a Life. It's such oh. a moving episode, and I had to mention it also because you know David Ogden Steers, who played Timison, passed away recently, which is sad. But he, mm -hmm. but he gives such an incredible performance. And what I wanted to call out in particular is just what happens with his character just in the space of this one episode. So, you know, he's this scientist that's, that's trying to figure out 
you know problem with with his his planet and and the star that's going to uh, to affect their planet somewhere in the future um and that's kind of what you know about him at first but you get to know more and more about you know who he is what kind of person he is as he falls in love with Loxana but then also he's willing to take this risk in order to uh think about refusing this ritual suicide that's supposed to happen at, at age 60. So he, he kind of, he's, he's this scientist that's important, but then he is almost instigating this rebellion. But in the end, he kind of accepts it. Loxana goes along, you know, with him to, to this ceremony, which is where the, the, um, the scene ends or the episode ends. But I feel like he just goes through so much and it. The way David Ogden Steers does it, it feels so natural. All of these changes that are happening just all in the space of one episode. I, I, I just love it. And, and had to, to call out just, you know, the, basically all the character moments in the arc of Timison just in that one episode. Yeah. You got me on that one too. <laughs> I uh, I also chose. Um, you did oh, as well. No. I did. Yeah, I was like, you guys are so funny. I was I, I was steering away from other stuff because I was like, <laughs> okay, data stay. I'm gonna stay away from. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm gonna say I'm gonna stay away from the Troy episodes. And <laughs> so, and I was like, uh, okay, so that's that's kind of that's, I also added more rules to it too, obviously, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, I I also had um, uh, mine was more t- more for Troy for being there for uh, for her mother uh, yeah. when uh, Timison had to leave, um, and it's just I thought being I mean so I wa- I watched the episode today uh, rewatched it today and I just love the beginning of the episode it says you know Deanna's personal log my mother is on on <laughs> oh, board that's right yes. <laughs> and I love that and it's just and then of course the first scene is Picard coming uh, coming out of the turbo lift but it's like a few seconds like well so where's he at <laughs> sort of thing and then is that, he, is that where he peers him. around the corner to see if Waxana's yeah. there <laughs> yes. great. yeah great. I mean it sets the tone for the episode and it it's it's a very funny and I guess for, for the crew of the enterprise the annoying episode <laughs> but like um and then it turns into something serious and mm-hmm. it's very and uh for her to be there doing her job like she's supposed to for someone that you know has caused her i guess annoyance being annoyed yeah. something like that i don't know yeah um you know she's actually there for her to uh to console her and and, and whatnot so i really love that um uh, that point or that uh that part for troy's character to grow with her mother like that, that she experiences loss. Cause I don't think, was her dad alive when, no, he was. No, he, he died some years before. Before she was born? Uh, before she was born? No, no, no. No, I, she knew around five yeah, is yeah, what yeah, I think. Okay. So she actually really experiences the loss and, and, and whatnot. So, I mean, to, to actually go through with that, uh, with her own mother, I think that's pretty pinnacle. So, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a great episode to highlight Loxana, and you say Timison and Deanna. Yeah. So I love. But it you're right. Too. There's that humor at the beginning, and I I, I love right. when TNG does that. There's something that's funny, but then it becomes serious. But it doesn't feel forced. But it just mm-hmm. it just kind of adds to the the flavor of things because life is like that. Sometimes things are really funny one moment, and it becomes serious the next moment. So I I love when they yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's pretty funny, Richard, because I chose two of the ones you had and you chose one that I had. So I think we have perfect like uh, intersection of our list. We're synchronizing. (laughs) (laughs) And synchronize. (laughs) All right. (laughs) <laughs> well, this is well, going... it's a good thing here. So yeah. good thing I'm here so we can uh, So we can have some originality, some right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm really struggling Uh-oh. on my last one because now it's my last one. And, well, the other ones can be honorable But we're going to go through honorable mentions, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. Well, then I'll save my math one for the honorable mention. So let's talk about... Um, identity crisis. I think this is a great Jordy scene or Jordy episode. Well, there's a couple of things. So I'm I'm gonna pull a Richard like he did last time and sort of talk about the whole episode what? <laughs> as my favorite character moment. You did that once before. Oh, I, you're using my name as a verb. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I did that with Half a Life because it was pretty much the whole episode, so it's okay. Yeah, it yeah, is. yeah. Okay, so just a couple of things um, with identity crisis. Um, I love, love, love how when Jordy gets into this mode of trying to solve this problem, right? The people have gone down to the planet. They keep disappearing. And he's going through the logs. And then he's like, oh, darn it. I just can't figure this out. So he goes to the holodeck. And I like this character moment, and it's a character between Jordy and the computer, which we also see um, in the mind's eye, which I'll, I'll bring in in a little bit. But Jordy is so comfortable talking to the computer. <laughs> it's like the computer it's like it's is friend. another character. I know. And he's like, all right, computer, can you display this light source and, you know, and recreate the, and he's so, I just think that is so awesome. And he does it again in the mind's eye um, when he's like playing this trivia game, when on his way to Rice at the beginning, you know, and he's like, computer, why don't you play me some music? And no, let's go for more Latin and let's play a game. I mean, he's just talking to it like it's another person. I think that is so, so great. I just, and I love seeing Jordy get enveloped into what he's doing. Like if it's an identity crisis, like he is so in with that holodeck trying to figure it out. He really gets into character when he's trying to solve these problems. Mm. And I really appreciate that. Um, in season four, we just get to see him do that a lot. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a really good point. I guess I hadn't thought of it like that that he's so friendly and it's like another another person right he's just it's very nonchalant hey computer will you do this oh why don't you go back play back here you know yeah and i'm trying to think on tng if there's anyone else that takes it to that extent maybe not maybe data a little bit sometimes but not quite the same same friendly manner i mean it's almost like he's talking to the computer like data or Riker would be there and has to do something to help him out Wow, you're right. Mm-hmm. What does that say about Jordy and his character? <laughs> it's easier for him to make friends with an android and a computer? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hmm. Or that he's just that open-minded that he's friendly and nice to everyone mm. and everything. Well, yeah, I can see that. can be a bit uh, of a jerk sometimes. <laughs> no. But, well, since we're on the, uh, the uh, subject of Jordy, 
So I just ordered a T-shirt. It's called Rainbow Rambo. Have you seen that picture before? I have. <laughs> oh, no. I love that picture. So I bought a T-shirt. It's not here yet, but I'm gonna meet. Uh, I'm gonna meet him, Lavar Burton, when he comes here, um, in like three weeks with it on. So nice. Yeah. Right, since Rainbow we're on, Rambo, that's funny. It's great. I love it. His arms are like busting out of it with a machine gun shooting it. It's great. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, and I wanted to mention one more thing. I thought it was interesting um, because when Beverly's um, working on Susanna Light that, you know, she's using these T-cell inhibitors. And I'm like, hmm, was, don't we see that again in Genesis? Genesis? Oh, I just sorry. thought that was funny to talk about T-cells and here this person is, you know, transforming into another species. Was it T-cells? And- I thought they talked about introns on Genesis. No, it was T-cells. I have it here in my notes, and I thought, Hmm. huh, interesting. (laughs) Same kind of cells. All right. But yeah, an identity crisis is is kind of interesting because, you know, Jordy turns into this being you can only see under ultraviolet light. I think I've been reading um, Michael Westmore's uh, book about, you know, his career in, in makeup, and he talks about that as from the 18 years he was doing makeup on Star Trek from 1987 to 2005, Doing that makeup for Jordy in the episode where he has like all the blue veins things took the longest yeah. of anything that they ever had oh, to wow. do. <laughs> it did. did you say how long? Well, it looks great. I mean, it looks really good. What, so. did, it, did it say how long it took him? He did. I'll have to look it up here. But, oh, okay. but no, I was surprised by that. I was like, out of everything that he did in all those years, it was apparently the most involved or it took the longest. No, it, it took the longest to apply. It took like six hours or something crazy like that. Oh, yeah. Imagine being the actor to actually sit there for that. Like LeVar Burton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 When you for see what, LeVar Burton, like, minutes? hey, what was it like on Identity Crisis? Ha ha. it's paybacks i'm sure uh michael dorn was like paybacks for y'all for doing you know because he his was daily oh yeah that's true klingon makeup yeah but it was only his face i mean the rest of it i mean for him it was his whole body wasn't it yeah had to get into this leotard suit thing yeah so actually yeah and it's kind of interesting so in, in the i was looking it up for michael westmore's um book and he said lavar had to wear a latex head full face bicycle pants that went from mid thigh to above his navel and alien hands and feet after all the appliances were in place he was finished in black body makeup from head to toe his eyes were transformed with glowing yellow reptilian like contact lenses and then he goes on there's like a bunch of details but says it took six hours and six makeup artists to complete the alien character oh my god incredible starving after that (laughs) (laughs) well six hours to get into the makeup and then they're like on the set for like 14 hours or something yeah, doing the scene. So well, I would hope oh, that man. scene didn't take long. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? I think it's, yeah, I suppose it maybe is just that one scene, but still even just that one scene, it could have taken more than a day. I don't know. But, but anyway, just yeah. a tribute to that. And, uh, yeah, yeah. For his troubles, Jordy gets to turn into an alien. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that, that's a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right on, right on. Well, honorable mentions. Should we go with you, Justin, first, or should we go with Amy? Well, I'll go first because <laughs> okay. I went first before. But uh, right, you better not pick mine. I just want to say that. <laughs> right? You better not pick mine. <laughs> we'll see. 
All right. So <clears throat> my honorable mention is the nth degree. Was that one? Oh. No, no. Okay. Nope. And, and just, I mean, I know we talked with Dwight Schultz about this uh, a couple episodes ago with, um, you know, these lasers on his head and all that. I mean, it's it's really just like in the episode, he has this huge IQ and he gains all of this confidence. And I think it affects Barclay forever afterward. I may have said this before, but the Barclay after nth degree is the one that's able to really confront his transporter transporter uh, fear in Realm of Fear, the one who goes up to Zephram Cochran to shake his hand, and the one who in Voyager has the confidence to be able to, you know, basically break the rules and do what's needed to to help contact Voyager. So I think the nth degree is a completely pivotal episode for Barclay and affects him forever after mm-hmm. that. So I had to pick it. <laughs> Very nice. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So like I said, you know, one of the things that I really, lo- uh, really, uh, you know, on my picks is that is it really something that uh, transformed them in, or, or not transform, but like in um, pushes their character forward. And for me, it was reunion uh, with Worf and his son. Uh, definitely a missed opportunity for Worf to grow as a parent, and even even you know go into an emotional story of some sort. Um, and but you know, uh, obviously a, a missed opportunity, or at least in TNG it was. And um, but like, yeah, I, I thought it was. I mean, the the whole episode, obviously uh, dealing with him and Alexander, it, you know, it's just it it could it it had a potential, you know, kind of like with uh, you know Troy's promotion, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it had a it had potential to uh, grow into something bigger. So I don't know, yeah. So you're picking it because of its yeah. potential? I yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't. I wanted to pick it because of Worf and uh, Alexander, but it was like, you know what? It doesn't stick well with the rest of the series because it's like one of those one-off. Okay, so what? He, it, it's like Kalar died, and then his son is basically motherless, and then he ships him off to. Uh, the Ural Mountains is that where they live? The his parents somewhere in Russia. I think. Yeah, somewhere in Russia. Yeah, so so he sends them to Earth, and then that's really the last we hear about him until and New Ground. I'm watching. I was watching it today, actually. Yeah. So I mean that that's the only reason why I didn't chose it because I actually really love that episode. It's just it 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 just fell flat, or at least for me it did. Hmm. I don't know. Well, well, and it could have been so. Uh, powerful, especially back in the time when single fathers was not really talked about that much, Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, you're right. It could have really set the tone, um, you know, of having Worf be the single father and having to deal with this child and have to deal with his work and, you know, and really showed that dynamic of, you know, how a father can be instead of, Oh, I'm this father, so I'm gonna ship him off with my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean, I, I have to think that they made that decision because they didn't know of the availability of. I mean, in fact, when Alexander yeah. comes back in season five, it's a different actor. <laughs> so, right, you know. Uh, oh, I'm sure the logistics, you know, and all that. But I mean, they could have definitely done something like maybe Worf corresponding with his son through letters or hmm. something like that. It may not have to be 
transmissions or something yeah, like that. Yeah, to that's, be more yeah. of an active Yeah, that's, father. that's true. I guess, the, I mean, they could have even had him like talking to Alexander over subspace and you just see him every once mm-hmm. in a while and see how he's doing. But all of a sudden, like you get to new ground and Alexander is kind of dropped off because, you know, worse foster mother is like, well, we're getting old. It's time for you to take care of him. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. Uh, and and he struggles and he lies and he steals things. And, you know, it kind of comes a bit out of nowhere. So, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. It was missed opportunity for sure. Amy, do you have them? Uh, well, I have another one, but I mean, it's... It, it, yeah, no, yeah. I have two honorable mentions. So. Go, go ahead. Okay, so I really like the host. And I think this is well, one thank that... You. <laughs> oh, you're hosting this week. <laughs> I walked right into that one. <laughs> yes, I do like you, Richard. <laughs> All right, sweet. Um, <laughs> well, the host in season four is another Beverly episode, and I think it is done very, very well. Um, I think this episode, we could do a whole episode on Earl Grey about it. There's a lot to talk about. But just as far as a character moment, um, I, I enjoy seeing Beverly with Picard, especially in attached and, you know, later in season seven. So I like that, but I'll tell you what the natural chemistry that Crusher has with Odan in this episode is, I mean, it's stunning. It's show stopping. Like, and when you see the scene open up with Beverly kissing Odan, I don't think we've ever had such you know, an opening scene like that. So, you know, in this passionate kiss and her interaction with him and it it really made the episode so believable. And then when Odan, the, the host dies, but you know, Odan, the symbiote is still living and goes into Riker. (laughs) Becomes Odriker. (laughs) It's, it is so apparent that there is no chemistry between Riker and and Beverly. And I don't know if that's, you know, any indication. I mean, I know that they were friends, but like there was no natural chemistry, you know, between Gates and um, Jonathan, Jonathan. Um, But just that, that beginning with Beverly and Odan, I can't get over how well and how much, how believable I was just you know, to see those two interacting and, oh, I have to go to work, kiss, 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 kiss. You know, (laughs) I mean, just the beginning of that relationship is just so relatable. Well, I hope it's relatable. I hope everyone has experienced, you know, that kind of, well, I have to go, but I want to stay. That whole beginning of a relationship was just so wonderful to see with Beverly, especially. Yeah, well, that's interesting because... I don't like the host as an episode overall. Sorry, Amy. Ouch. Um, be, well, like it, it feels like in that first scene, it's it, it does come a bit out of nowhere. And the way that they talk about the trill and how secretive and strange they are. Like the first time I had seen that and I hadn't seen the trill in, in DS9, I was like, who are these people? I really don't like them. <laughs> so I just had like trouble with that. And when I compare it to what the trill are like in D Space Nine, it for me, it pales in comparison. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, it, it is nice to to have, you know, a good love story for for Beverly, um, you know, maybe outside of Picard. That's not a ghost. Or ghost, ghost <laughs> alien. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 good. I, I just have some issues with the episode that 
so it's, it's a little hard for me to enjoy it but I, I can appreciate what it does for her character and how great that is to see yeah yeah I mean and when she you know and they're oh, where were they oh, in the turbo lift and Data's like oh I have these numbers I want to run with you and you know and Odin's like well I think I have a I'm headache I'm not feeling well and, I have to go back to my quarters doctor yeah, could you have and, a look at me you know <laughs> And then Data's like, oh, well, and she grabs Data by the arm and is walking him down the corridor and is like, we, you are going to, I'm going to get you started. You're going to run those numbers and don't come back. You'll be busy for two hours, right? (laughs) Exactly. I just, that was so funny. I just, I thought she did such a very, very good job. And I love when um, Troy walks into the salon. This is the first time we see a salon. And there's Beverly getting her nails and she's got the little iPad. Is that what astringent are you using? That was just a great, you know, interplay between Troy and Beverly to see their friendship. And that I just, I thought it was great. There's Mm -hmm. a lot more to discuss. I won't (laughs) go into deep, but just those, I just, I think it really did a lot for Beverly's um, character. Sounds like another a future episode. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, I, but we need what, to put that on the What do you think list. about the host, Richard or Odan and Crusher? Uh, it's it's all right for me. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you, Justin, that it's, uh, I mean, I see where you're coming from. It's a little awkward. and But I mean, I, I also see where Amy is coming from that, uh, you know, we get to see her uh, passion aside and and uh it, and also the, the awkwardness with Frakes and Gates uh, that, um, <laughs> which obviously they, they're you know, co-actor, co-actors, co-worker, whatever, co-worker. co-worker. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, and I'm sure that they made it that way yeah. and, and but, whatnot. But, but Jonathan yeah. Frakes does do a good job. You can tell like the persona of Riker with Odan as a symbiont looks mm-hmm. and feels and acts different, which is great. I think he does a great job at that. Oh yeah. No, m- most definitely. Oh yeah. 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 So do you have an honorable mention, Justin? I, I only had one, so maybe we can go to, you or Amy for okay. your seconds. <laughs> so uh, my second uh, honorable p- uh, mention was actually in theory. And same thing as Reunion. It was a missed opportunity, mainly because, you know, we get all, we see all, obviously we see the range of, um, of Brent Spiner's acting ability when he's trying to be the lovable boyfriend. And then it looked like, abusive or angry boyfriend um in the same moment or or something like that he was trying different strategies or whatever i don't know what exactly that second one oh, was. yeah yeah, from, yeah when he's like you just don't he, me or something like that yeah because he knew that or well he researched that you know if you have a quarrel then you get you know to make up and that builds i think he saw like an i love lucy clip or something yeah <laughs> 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 uh, anyway <laughs> Lucy, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, because Ricky uh, would always get so angry about the stuff that Lucy would do. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that show in years. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just one of those, you know, it, he get, it does all this stuff. And and then at the end of it, it's like, oh, should I delete this subroutine? I'm like, what a way to just, like that episode not, didn't even happen. <laughs> it's like for, or at least for him. Um, cause like with being as curious as he is to be more human, you would think that he would build off of that 
and I know in a later episode sort of thing, but really we don't really see that. So yeah, it it would actually have been yeah. interesting instead of just this experiment for one episode if uh, it, the relationship had some issues, but they're willing to work them out, and it kind of went on every once in a while, and you'd see how it's right. going. And yeah, you're right; that could have been really interesting. Yeah, but mm, uh, I'm gonna you disagree. disagree. <laughs> I love the ending. I think it is perfect. It totally defines who Data is and just he's an android. I don't need this routine anymore, so I'm going to delete it. I mean, I I mean not that I do that with relationships. <laughs> I was gonna, like, I was just about to say I was like, is that what you do with relationships? <laughs> delete something. No, like if I'm using something and it's like, okay, I don't need this anymore, I totally get rid of it. And then, you know, yeah, maybe you know, a few months or years later, I'm like, oh, I wish I had that one thing. Oh, I guess I'll go out and buy it again. I don't know. Maybe that's If only we could all do that. <laughs> but I just thought it was so perfect of an ending But, but for, it's, for it's, it's kind of him admitting failure that there's a certain part of being human that he'll just never be able to get toward, even if he's working right. toward that in other ways. So I don't know. It feels a little weird. I feel sad for him. That also goes with my point is that, you know... It, for him, to, for him to understand and learn and everything, he's got to know his failures as well. And yeah. like this relationship, this would be a perfect opportunity for him to grow. And yeah. if, say, for instance, he does want a relationship for whatever reason, that he'll be a better person. Yeah. I mean, uh, for wh- that. why doesn't he try later with like improved relationship subroutine 2.0? <laughs> yeah. 2.0. <laughs> Relations 2.0. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that happens between some of the episodes. <laughs> but uh, okay. yeah, I don't know. I, I just figured that being as curious as he was, that he would want to approve on that. So that's how huh. I saw. Is it. there a book about that? That's Justin? what I was wondering. You know, I, I haven't actually. That would be a great book. Yeah, Relations 2.0. Relationships again. Well, for him to yeah do another routine and to get into another I'm relationship. Not sure. Well, if any listeners works. know of that, whether it's like a story or a novel, that would be interesting. But I haven't read one that's yeah. about anything like yeah. that. Bruce and Dan from <laughs> Literary Treks. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. And we could just start our own fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amy, let's do our final honorable mention. You said you had two, Okay. Right? I won't keep the listeners waiting anymore. Here is my math character. Um, And it goes back to identity crisis. Uh, Again, in that holodeck scene, I just I really, really like it. And so he's recreating the scene and has the light source and the shadows you can see. And, um, and then he asks the holodeck to run the simulation. And if the computer can predict the motion after they move outside the field of view. And I totally, that like tingles up and down my spine. I'm like, of course we can do that. And the computer says, yes, I can do that. It'll be accurate up to 95% for up to 10 seconds. And that whole thing is, you know, with vectors, speed and direction, and he's using vector analysis. Well, the computer is. And so the computer does this analysis, and that is linear regression. Um, I'm so excited. Uh, Line of best fit. My students, I could totally show this to my students 
Well, it's a first quarter thing. Um, and have them, you know, plot the dots of the motion of each person, and then they could predict the motion. And that is your linear regression that is used in Star Trek. And I appreciate using having math as a character in Star Trek. Excellent. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that one. I guess math is an important part of the enterprise computer. So <laughs> whatever it's involved. Yes. That's pretty great. But I was I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, 10 seconds, because as I've done regression with my students and, and we look at quadratic, exponential, all different types of regressions, but the further away you go from your last known data point, you're not going to be that accurate. And I really do believe that 10 seconds is too long to still be 95% accurate. Although it is linear, so I was going back and forth, and I thought, yeah, linear is pretty consistent. But I was thinking if there were any other type of regression, um, more sporadic than linear, 10 seconds would be a little bit too long. But that was just me way overthinking things. Well, although that computer is over 300 years more advanced than where we're at now, so. Well, okay, (laughs) then, yeah, that's right. Then, yes, it could be 95% accurate 10 seconds after. It is pretty great the way he can reconstruct things with with some limited data on what's behind the person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> so there's your lesson on regression and line of best fit. I feel I feel um, um, mathematicated or whatever. Okay. <laughs> mathematicated. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I feel math enhanced uh, today. There you go. Math enhanced. <laughs> I like that better. <laughs> or more. <laughs> Anyway, all right, final thoughts, Mr. Ozer. Well, I mean, it's always fun going through these character moments. Of course, you and I, Richard, had a lot of intersection. But, I mean, there's there's still, like, there's so many great moments in season four. It's definitely one of the strongest of, of the next generation. And there was a, you know, a lot of different types of moments that we talked about. Serious moments, funny moments, math moments. And it led us into some some great discussions. I mean, not only about the major characters, but about you know O'Brien and Barclay and the computer, and it's it's pretty great. So I, I always enjoy this, and uh, I think it was a nice variety of moments. It'll be interesting to see what our listeners might have have chosen as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I had issues with just finding moments that were that I felt I mean granted this is supposed to be favorite character moments but like you know when when I think of character moments I was like what moves the character forward and that's that's what you know basically um you know brought me to my choices um as I said in the beginning but like I mean there were some I mean don't get me wrong there are some really good episodes in season 4 that I really really love however it was the question. It was it, it was the question. Is like, how does that move that character forward? Is is uh, what I always uh, do when I actually look at this list, and that's how I chose it. So I really like I really like uh, do, uh, doing this. So yeah, Amy. Yeah. Um. Well, as we were talking, when did we talk about frame of mind last? Was that with uh, the, the, um, the interview with James Conway? Conway? Interview? Yeah, Conway interview. Yeah. Was that a season five? That was in season six. Six. Yeah. Well, anyways, so, but that had been fresh on my mind. And then, uh, seeing Riker 
or Jonathan Frakes in Future Imperfect and then him playing Odan. And then we were sort of talking about like, you know, Riker has this ability to just switch his character so believable. Mm -hmm. And we see him do that multiple times. And then you also brought up with uh, Beverly Crusher and Remember Me, like there's a lot of reality shifting going on in this sort of time period. You know, Remember Me, Future Imperfect, where, you know, Riker has to sort of figure out, oh, well, this isn't reality. This is reality. Oh, this isn't reality. This is, you know, and so going through those different levels, just like Beverly does, I thought that was very interesting that they're, you know, sort of in this time frame of switching these realities, you know, and same with Jordy in uh, Mind's Eye, you know, where he's supposed to be on Risa, but he, you know, he was captured and, you know, gone through all of this. Like he has to figure out what is his reality. And I just think those types of stories are so very interesting. We get a lot in season four with that type and, Again, as I mentioned, sort of in my pick, like the smallest little interplays between the characters, like what did you wish for, Will? Like the looks and the what we truly see these characters and these actors are becoming really good friends and a family that we feel on the Enterprise is, is just so good. Season four is fabulous. Awesome. All right, so um, just a preview for next week's episode. Uh, next week, we will be discussing romantic relationships on TNG Part 2. Uh, this is basically um, misrelationships that we missed on the first one that we received feedback on the uh, Babel Conference, and basically we'll be going over it. Yeah, the listeners had quite a few more relationships <laughs> that we just didn't have time to get to. Right. So we are going to go back through and talk about them. Because, you know, why not? Why not? Yeah, why yeah, not? It's romantic relationships. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been so much fun going through, uh, going over our favorite character moments of season four of The Next Generation. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, the 602 Club. And it really speaks to, to me, Halliday's ego even of I'm going to make everyone love what I love. And then that's how they'll win the contest. You know, and, and it's sad that it feels like it all became that, what you're saying, Matt, of it, everyone not even having... Um, the creativity to have their own stuff anymore. It's all about what Halliday was interested in. Um, and, and then I think, too, it really also could be even a commentary about greed in society now that everything really revolved around wanting to get his, in, you know, his fortune. So they did all the research they had to do because they just wanted the money. Warp 5. Wait, hold on. You don't, you don't have... A, uh, a a reflection. There's beams of light traversing the ship, cutting you. Mm. And my lack of logic is what's astounding here? Yeah, because you made an assumption based on zero evidence. Except for the fact that they just melted. Yeah, the three we that we've seen. We don't that know that what the rest of them are doing. This is the first one we don't know if it seen. was anymore. Okay, let's scan the melting. Meta Trex. 
and, what? And, and do it all over again. Are you again. bad-mouthing Voyager <laughs> to a guy who hosts a Voyager podcast? <laughs> you know I am. I, I always love to rib you about Voyager, but they, they really kind of play that card in this episode. They they hit that magic reset button. So. T- take that, you Deep Space Nine-loving Voyager-hating <laughs> reset button obsessing fans. There's a reset button right here in this episode of Deep yeah. Space Nine. <laughs> Literary Treks. But that was also like one of the core ideas of the story before I even knew much about how it was going to develop, was this notion that we could find something to explore that would allow different groups of people to come together to explore it than we're used to seeing. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you could do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Gray. That will come right to us, and we might even read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not recovering from being assimilated by the Borg? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, tweeting out my season five rewatch of The Next Generation. It's taken a little while because of that assimilation and because I've been busy with a few other things. So I'm getting there. Uh, And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So Richard, where can people contact you when you're not reminiscing with Captain Maxwell? Memories. Oh, um, you got to sing that song. At least you didn't sing that song. (laughs) That's really good. That's really good. I don't have to give her that one. We'll see how many listeners listen to the end of the show. If you get to this point, that's why I'm brave enough to do it. No one listens. Drop a comment and leave Amy a compliment for her humming. Yes, please do. That's why I left that last one in the in the very end about nailing that uh, Patreon thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see if, and this is a test, Brandon, if, you, if you're listening by now still, oh, I want you to, because I left that in out. for him. I left, I left it for him because he said he watches, he listens to He listens to all of them, from, but he's not going to necessarily yeah. comment, but now, now's, your, oh, now's your time to comment. He will. Okay. Yep. So that's a test, Brandon. <laughs> Anyway, um, well, you guys could find me on uh, the Babel Conference. I pop in here and there. And I am also on Twitter, lack thereof. <laughs> um, and my handle is xransom. Uh, Amy, where can people find? Where can people contact you when you're not trying to figure out what's wrong with the universe? Well, it's obviously them and not me. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
You can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge with Brandon Shea Mutella, and that is our Trek FM's dedicated podcast to Star Trek Discovery. You can also find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is the Babel Conference there on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers. They are Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. If there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. Great joy and gratitude. Today is a good day to die. (laughs) 